thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, gorgeous listeners. Thanks so much for joining us tonight on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And make sure you are following us on all of our social media channels. I am DrAndrea.exo on Instagram, The Period Whisperer on Facebook, um, or you can just find me on my website, DrAndrea.com.au. And Ashley is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything, including DrAshleyBond.com. Ash, I feel like we're kind of getting back to our roots tonight. Like we you haven't, what? this could be like first episode we ever recorded kind of stuff. I feel like it was the reason we did this yeah. whole podcast in the beginning was the frustration over the exact conversation we're going to have tonight, which is how do we get this information across to the people we care about, you know, the people we look after mm-hmm. without standing there and spending an hour, like, you know, data dumping on someone to, watching their eyes glaze over because they're just like, whoa, because you know so much and you want to share it and you're so enthusiastic about it because, you know, the certainty is there and they really just ask a question of like, should I do this or not do this? And it's like, it's not that simple. We need you to know all these things. And yes. that's why we do this. <laughs> yes. So ladies, tonight we're talking about oral contraceptives and mm. we wanted to do, because we're like 250 blah, blah, something episodes in um, and we don't want you to have to go back to the very start to 
to re-listen to, you know, some of the episodes that were done on oral contraceptives. We wanted to do a really succinct episode and try and we tried to be as objective as possible to give you the facts on the pros and cons of oral contraceptives. Now, we could have done one um, covering all types of hormonal contraceptives, but obviously the pill or oral contraceptives is the most widely used. Um, So we wanted to just try and give you a bit of context around what are the reasons to use it, what are the reasons to avoid it. And this episode is for you know, it's for mums when you're raising your teenage daughters and you're wanting to have a really, you know, a good objective conversation with them about the pill and about, you know, what their options are and the pros and cons because often they're not getting this risk versus benefit um, conversation with their, um, you know, GP, for example. So you're not getting proper informed consent because when you know this stuff, then you know you can balance, again, the risks and benefits. And these are for all the women who are talking to, again, your GPs about whether or not the pill might be right for you. And so you've got a little bit more context around both sides of the argument here. Uh, And I think it's great that you mentioned, you know, women with their daughters, because I think most women wouldn't even know this themselves. It's very hard to educate your daughter on something you don't fully understand yourself, or you take for granted that the information you've received is accurate, adequate, and that's all you need to know. But often there's a lot of information that's missing, um, so much so that we're still reviewing literature that's been produced this year in 2022. So we'll talk about that in a little while, but just, you know, it's so important because everything in medical science evolves. What we yeah. knew 10 years ago is not the same as what we know today. Um, so if our education or our information was received when we were in our 20s or when we were in our 30s and now we're in you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, there's another 10 years, 20 years gone by, we may not be up to date. I'm, I wasn't up to date until I started to check in on where's the research at in the last two years, thinking I've been you know a bit off the sideline looking at other different sorts of information. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a new study. It's massive. We've got to talk about this. And it's like, ah, oh, there we go. We still get excited when there's more information coming. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to be, be current is actually very hard. <laughs> uh, and also... And, you know, obviously, here's my caveat for this or my disclaimer for this episode. Um, It would be ridiculous for me to not have a bias. And certainly I have a bias when it comes to hormonal contraceptives. Um, And I really, really tried to put that aside um, tonight when I was sort of making some notes about, okay, what are the actual benefits for taking oral contraceptives? And I really tried to think deep and long and hard about what those benefits are. And we're going to go into that because, you know, we want you to have as much of a balanced um, understanding of this as possible. Um, But, Obviously, my bias is there that I have seen more risks than benefits with oral contraceptives, and I see a huge amount of problems with women who come off the pill or, you know, everything else along the way. So that's my disclaimer, Um, and I'm going to try and be objective. Um, Oh, well well done, because I know we both have very strong views on this, but we're also reasonable in terms of how we approach all things in medical health, that it is personal choice. Um, And it comes down to informed medical, you know, choice as well. And that comes down to this conversation of, well, when did women start to see the contraceptive pill as an opportunity? Like, what is the benefit to us um, to, to do this to change our hormones, to enjoy the privilege of not conceiving um, when used correctly. Mm -hmm. And I I think, you know, as we were talking earlier, it's presented 
enormous um, opportunities for change for women. And I think for me it was the the transition from the 50s housewife, you know, that women were if they had a career, suddenly had to drop everything, have their kids, become the, the mother, um, and they never often returned to the workforce because maybe another child would come along. Like mm-hmm. there was never control over the family planning um, as much as we know it is today. And the pill was this incredible re- revolutionary opportunity for women to move into empowerment my mm-hmm. body, my choice. I can do this. I control when I have a child. I control who I have a child with. Um, and it changed everything. It allowed women to continue their education or to commence education that they might otherwise never have considered because once you're a mother, you have nothing else to do except for wait for the next child to come along. Um, you know, all these sorts of things. I think, you know, I'm grateful for that because it's a very good chance we enjoy the privilege we do today as women because of something like the pill and mm. the change it created mentally um, in women's belief in themselves. And I think it suddenly really did change a lot. So I'm a little bit grateful for it back in the day because I think it uh, has allowed us to you know, stand in university in classes, which, I mean, in my year group, are looking like pretty 50-50 in terms of male-female. And from everyone I spoke to, you know, in chiropractic colleges from the past, it was like a 90-10 or a 95-5% of women. There was only a few handfuls of people in there that were ever female in universities. Look what we are today. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact we control our destinies, which is really cool. But... Everything has a, a double-edged sword, right? We get the benefits, but we also have to accept full responsibility for the uh, the negatives. And, you know, that's something that's uh, what we're going to, I guess, cover tonight because I find it um, informed consent is something that I'd never got. What about you? Yeah. Um, well, I can actually say that I've never taken hormonal contraceptives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, really proud of that fact. Um, and I know that my experience is, is pretty unique. Um, just in, in the sense that I always knew that that was just not something that I was willing to do. Um, however, we do know that oral contraceptives, as you mentioned, Ash, was this part of a woman's, you know, biological revolution. And it is an excellent contraceptive it does work as it's designed if taken um, appropriately in, you know, if there is that consistency and that adherence to um, the prescription. So as in taken every day, a similar time every day um, and not with things that could uh, impact its effectiveness, such as oral contraceptives, uh, sorry, not oral, such as antibiotics, for example, right? And it does work as a really, really great contraceptive. Its effectiveness is anywhere from sort of on the lower end, um, depending on, um, uh, you know, the, the adherence to that, it's tip, like, and this is typical use as well is around 91%, 91% effective, um, up to 99%, but, you know, on, on typical average use, it's about 91% effective. Um, and it does that really, really well. So if women are taking the pill for contraceptive purposes and they are fully aware of the risks and benefits, then I am so supportive of that because it does that well. Um, and but just as you said, Ash, uh, there are there's, there's risks and benefits to everything because when we're playing with the normal function and the normal physiology of a woman's body, then there has to be things that change with that. Right. Um, the other things that it can do quite well is it can help to improve hormonal acne. 
Um, like we have seen that it can do a really good job of that and lots of women will um, report saying that they've never had better skin than when they're on the pill. Um, so if your acne is from a hormonal cause, then yes, it can give you good symptomatic relief of that. Um, now, it doesn't mean that it necessarily fixes um, what those underlying causes were in the first place and it doesn't mean that it won't come back when you stop um, the pill, but it, it can do that. Um, now, it is being used, um, you know, obviously for so many different reasons and being prescribed as, uh, you know, as we talked about so many times, the wonder drug for everything. And sometimes women are put on the pill simply because they're menstruating and for no other reason. Um, however, it is being used currently for treatment of endometriosis, for period pain, for cycle regularity, um, for decreasing the symptoms of PCOS, particularly the hirsutism um, component of that. So the male pattern hair growth. Um, and it tends to, for some women, be effective with that. Um, there is some evidence, um, which I, Ash, I think you and I are going to talk quite a bit about, that it reduces the risk of endometrial and, and ovarian cancer. There is, mm -hmm. you know, certainly published studies around that. Um, do you want to go into that now? Yeah, yeah, because I think it was one, one of our big um challenges we have with promoting benefits is to say, but hang on, how can you tell us that's a benefit when on the flip side, you've got this glaring uh, negative and it's not like one cancels the other out. They have to both be put on the same plate so you can digest which risk you're willing to take. And um, the risk you're referring to is that while there's some evidence that it reduces the risk of endometrial or ovarian cancer, it significantly increases risk of breast cancer. Yeah, and so one of the interesting things there is that I don't believe there'd be many people or many women uh, who are tested for their BRCA gene mm -hmm. uh, prior to being put on contraceptives. Mm. And yet the evidence is if you have, you know, a BRCA gene um, increasing your risk of breast cancer, then the contraceptive pill actually adds to that risk. Mm -hmm. So inadvertently you might be triggering the very thing you're trying to avoid, which is, you know, again, I wouldn't know if you had to, could I look at my family history and know whether or not I have a BRCA gene um, variant? Honestly, I don't know. Um, may, there may not be a lot of women in some family lines that live old enough or long enough to even assess the risk, right? If there's no maternal history, you know, brothers or sister, well, I don't have a sister, you know, my yeah. grandmother didn't live to an age where you might have considered it a high risk factor for breast cancer, so we never got to see that. Um, my mum's had a, you know, an issue with her health relating to a breast cancer, and the question is, is that driven by lifestyle or genetics? Well, guess what? It wasn't tested still, which mm. it's floored me. So should I run and get a test? I don't know. Um, it's probably not a bad idea, but I think the fact that I don't know when I'm the age I am with two children, how many women don't know this answer? Mm. Um, yeah. And yet how many women are put on, on to the oral contraceptive before identifying that risk? And that's probably far too big an ask for um, GPs to even think about because um, if you do test positive for the BRCA gene, then you essentially have to undergo genetic counselling as to what you actually do with that information. Mm -hmm. um, and I also wonder if there's a history of oestrogen receptor positive um, breast cancers or even progesterone receptor positive breast cancers in the family, 
if being on oral contraceptives would also increase that risk as well because we mm. already know that those cancers are obviously hormonally driven. Um, so therefore, you know, the hormones that are in um, oral contraceptives, particularly sort of the the older versions of them, it was so, so much higher than what, you know, your own body makes. So it's just it begs to question whether or not if um, – these conversations around family history should be happening when prescribing oral contraceptives yeah, <laughs> um, rather than just like, you know, a blanket. Um, or if having a conversation with these women about time on the pill as well, like, okay, so is there a reasonable time frame before you then start to have a different conversation around different contraceptive choices? You know, what is the safe um, or the the amount of risk you're willing to take? And these are good questions that um, I don't know if GPs even have time to go into with their patients. Mm. Um, now, one of the other um, pros that I seriously question that is, pub well, is, is sort of published and marketed around the use of oral contraceptives is um, the prevention of iron deficiency anemia. Now, with One the assumption of, that it's preventing heavy blood loss, heavy cycles. Correct. Yes. Well, th yeah, that, that is essentially um, part of that. However, they're also trying to say that because it increases like ferritin levels being on oral contraceptives. But I actually don't think that that's actually a good thing because we also use ferritin as an inflammatory marker and it will erroneously raise on blood tests when inflammation is present as well. So say you've got elevated CRP or C-reactive protein, normally we'll see artificially raised ferritin with that too. And um, this is one of the biggest problems that I have when there's not this good, complex, deep and thorough understanding of, say, something like iron testing and you throw out a blanket statement like, oh, your iron levels would be better if you're on the pill, not just because you'll be bleeding less or it will be more controlled, which sometimes is, um, you know, not true for all women, but it'll improve your iron scores. Um, and I think that that's an absolute red herring because of the ferritin being raised with, inf um, with inflammation and being oral on oral contraceptives does increase your inflammatory markers. So could that be part of why that ferritin looks a little bit better? Absolutely. But we also know that being on oral contraceptives and having high levels of estrogen actually makes your transferrin, one of your iron testing results, which is like your little personalised kind of taxi for your iron, so it's your iron-binding transport protein which carries your iron from your gut to your liver and then to other tissues. And, and without getting too complicated, your transferrin goes down when you're hungry for iron, right? So it goes low when your body needs more of it. Um, but um, when it goes up, that it will look high when you're taking estrogen so therefore oral contraceptives or even hrt as well um so it's a it's a red herring there um because of how it reacts with your transferrin and your liver and everything else so um that concerns me <laughs> oh well while we're on the, the track i guess of our concerns and reservations regarding oral contraceptives let's have a chat about that journal publication from january this year and so we 
I guess the most recent information regarding contraceptive risks, adverse health outcomes, is a new publication, January 17, 2022. Um, it's open edition, so you can go and have a look at it. It's uh, published in the journal JAMA, which is mm-hmm. the Journal of American... Medical Association, I think yep. it's the, yeah. Anyway, it's titled The Association of Hormonal Contraceptive Use with Adverse Health Outcomes. And I think it's really interesting because these are the kind of studies um, that are used by GPs, OBGYNs, you know, obstetrician, gynecologists, um, basically health professionals in the medical realm who are dealing with women's reproductive health. And these are the like the more recent references they'll have as to whether they do or do not prescribe certain medications, um, including contraceptives, because these are the robust uh, assessments of, of research. Now, this is an interesting one because they call it um, an umbrella review, which is basically a review of meta-analyses, which are another kind of like they're the, they're the research of the research. But what I found really interesting was that the final outcome there was that they said that there's no associations with adverse outcomes, including cardiovascular and cancer risk, that were supported by high-quality evidence. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like boom, boom mic drop right there and I just my brain was going but 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 what how can you say that like this is huge this this should be front page news this is a massive statement to make um anyway you know as it goes through I'm not an expert in all that data so I tried to find people who might have been who were also kind of standing there going what how can you just say that um and what I found really interesting was that there's quite a lot of experts out there saying but hang on this is misleading this is not accurate. This is um, completely twisting evidence and data um, with decades of research to it. And what they've essentially done is made conclusions based on their own definition of what statistically significant is. And um, that's where, you know, we sort of say we have our biases. Well, guess what? Researchers also have their biases when they start to change the language or change the parameters by which they include or exclude the evidence. Um, and that seems to be one of those uh, situations that we're seeing here that shows that depending on what you want to find, you can include or exclude the information. Um, so I was pretty disappointed to then read the the breakdown of why things happened the way they did. And it then started to make me realize that, ah, interesting. And essentially what they're saying is that if something, you know, if the researchers that had done those meta-analyses um, found that studies were 95% or more certain that side effect occurrence was real, not just random or due to chance, then this JAMA study um, changed its ranking, a bit like an A, B, C, D, E, F, G kind of grades at school, um, to give it whether it was considered statistically significant, given either a weak designation. So, you know, a 95% certainty was actually given a D grade, a weak association, which is fascinating because the only way you could get an A grade is to have a 99.999% certainty of association, which, you know, in pharmacology, where on earth do we get that kind of certainty? It's exceedingly rare, um, particularly when you're talking about something like a contraceptive pill, which is hormonally driven, so many unique and variables involved in that one. So, um, yeah, I was like, oh, wow. We've just pinned all our hopes on this latest research, but really it's completely flawed. And I think this speaks to the cherry picking of research, right? Mm. Oh, we do it too. We're not not immune of that, but we do try our best to see it from both sides to think, you know, what here is, 
you know, the better outcome. Do we want that information or should we just ignore it? But we tend to try and take it on the chin, even if we don't agree with it. <laughs> and Ash, I just realized that when I was explaining um, the iron stuff, I, I definitely did not do a very good job of that. And maybe we'll do another episode on just really digging into iron testing and understanding this properly. But I think I, I can't remember what I said. But anyway, essentially, just in summary, when we have high levels or high values of transferrin, I just want to correct what I said. Um, high values means we need iron. Okay. So low values mean we're okay. Um, you know, it's not too much or um, it, it's okay. But confounders that will push transferrin low, meaning things are okay, is inflammation. So that and then oral contraceptives, we know increase inflammatory markers, which can make your ferritin look really good. Um, your transferrin will look low. But again, it's it's just that red herring. Um, so just to be clear on that. Um, okay, so let's look at cons of using oral contraceptives. And, um, you know, obviously this list can be very, very long. Um, but I want, again, to try and make it as succinct as possible. And the most um, well-published research risks of using oral contraceptives is it does increase the risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke and blood clot formation. There's certain types of pills that are worse for these risk factors and smoking absolutely um, increases the risk of these things too. Um, as we mentioned before, there's a significantly high risk of breast cancer. It also increases your risk of things like migraines. Um, it changes cholesterol levels. So in particular, um, progestin, which is part of the combined oral contraceptive pill or the um, uh, just the mini pill, for example, progestin decreases HDL cholesterol. So the, you know, what we consider um, in most simplistic terms, the good stuff, and it raises LDL cholesterol. So the um, not so good stuff. Um, we also know that there's a five-fold increased risk of autoimmune diseases with oral contraceptive use and the longer that you use them for the the higher those risk factors i think some of the most important considerations though is the change to mental health status and we know that it is unequivocal um, that oral contraceptives increase the risk of depression and anxiety, especially when used during the teenage years, and it increases those risk factors for life even after stopping them because of the changes to the brain, because of how it changes, how those teens um, respond to stress and everything else. Um, but it dramatically increases the risk of depression and anxiety. Um, you know, there's, there's also the risk for high blood pressure. Um, I also worry about the false sense of security that it might give, say, teenagers um, who, if they're taking the pill, they won't worry about barrier methods for contraception and therefore they're increasing their risk of sexually transmitted infections. Um, and also we know that oral contraceptives deplete the system of some really, really key nutrients. So in particular, um, magnesium, which is your precursor to serotonin and, um, you know, also that's going to affect mental health status. It decreases vitamin C, um, zinc, uh, B vitamins. Um, what else, Ash? I'm trying to think um, the other things that it it decreases in terms of your nutrient status, but those are the big ones. And it also has essentially an antibiotic-like effect on the gut microbiota too. Um, those are my big list of cons, which I think are all fairly considerable. And that's not including things like weight gain on the pill or, you know, the other things that, that occur along the way. Post-pill syndrome, um, longer time to um, fertility. Um, Ash, what else? 
Oh, look, I just think that, you know, for every woman who doesn't feel like she has any side effects, the risk of all of those things you described goes on with time. Mm. So a lot of the time we assess uh, the efficacy of a medication based on the immediate response. So, you know, the first six months, I seem fine, nothing's wrong. Um, and that was sort of my situation. But what it came down to was actually the effect after years mm. that was dramatic, harmful, um, and fortunately I had good people around me who could see that that risk may have been related to the contraceptive pill. And mm. in my experience, within six weeks of going off it, um, the biggest concerns I had regarding the mental health aspect literally like a cloud just blew away. And you think, how long could I have been living in that cloud if I hadn't mm. had someone say, go off that? Because the doctor had said, why not trial antidepressants? And I find that really interesting that instead of correcting the problem, we would have been double dosing the problem by adding in another compounding factor, which, you know, interestingly, when you look at um, risk factors, I believe that taking antidepressants is actually a risk for reducing the efficacy of the pill anyway. So, um, you know, like it's like, well, hang on, how can you co-prescribe something that is in and of itself a risk and a harm. So yeah, it was good for me to have picked that up at such an early stage in my life, but um, terrible to think how many women are walking around uh, prescribed both the OCP and also antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication or any other variants of, of medications to try and manage the mental health side effect um, of the pill. Now I have always been one to kind of instead of allow people to get off the hook and say, oh, well, it's a side effect. I'm like, it's not a side effect. It's a co-effect. Yes. It may yes. be an unwanted effect, but it's still a co-effect. And I think we use this diminishing language by saying side effect because then we can push those things to the side and say, oh, well, but at least what I'm taking it for, it's working. Um, and I find that a really frustrating thing that frequently occurs in medicine that we seem to be able to dismiss these side effects as irrelevant or gaslight our women when they talk to, you know, health professionals. And yet yes. it could be the reality if we change the language, we could actually change the response to that concern. Mm. Yes. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, Ash, I love the fact that you're saying these aren't necessarily side effects. They are um, their effects, right? Yeah, their effects, their yeah. unwanted co-effects of yep. prescribing a medication. And the reality is we have to be as serious about those co-effects as we do of the intended positive or the intended benefit that we want from that medication. And if yes. those co-effects outweigh the benefits, then we really have to consider whether or not it's the right thing because we do know there's other forms of contraception that may be considered Considered, and this is where that informed consent comes in. Um, yes. I find it fascinating that, you know, we don't, most women don't understand that the protection um, against pregnancy is lowered when the pill's taken with things like antibiotics or antidepressants or even antihistamine. Now, yeah. you still could yeah. fall pregnant for the very reason you were taking it because you took another medication and you were unaware of the fact that it would diminish your um reason for taking it, which is to prevent pregnancy. Um, I, look, I think if someone sat down with me back in the age when I was sitting there to understand my risks of whether I should or should not take something, if someone told me, you know, this could cause a blood clot, which could be fatal, that alone would be enough to me to consider, well, okay, 
<laughs> wow, like what's this actually doing to my body? Or if they said, oh, look, there's an increased risk of heart attack or stroke, especially women over 35. Now, I might have been, you know, only a teenager, but I still would have been looking going, well, 35 is when I could be a mum. That would be terrible. Like my brain would have gone that far and gone, oh, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly, you know, all the other associated risks like the mental health, there's an increased risk of depression. I'm like, whoa, I don't know that I'd want to do that. Or if I'd have known that when I showed up some of those signs, I might have thought straight away, oh, they said that this could be a risk. I wonder if this is why I'm feeling so bad right now. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. Ash, I, like, I'm always concerned because I don't think that – um, and this has just been my experience with a lot of teenagers that I see that, and also because they don't have fully developed prefrontal cortexes is they can't, it's so much harder to, um, make those calls on, um, risk versus reward and look at long-term, um, problematic changes from something where they're just looking for that quick immediate fix or possibly, um, clearing out their acne or something like that. And I totally understand, um, which is why I think, um, you know, having someone with them who can help them make that informed decision, um, I think is so, so important. And also we actually haven't even gone into any of the other effects that this has, like the biggest killer to your libido is being on oral contraceptives. Um, you know, it changes, um, you know, some of your innermost primal drives. And we know that um, studies have shown women who take oral contraceptives are more content with less attractive mates. Um, they, uh, it changes the way that we interact with people. It changes, you know, all of those pheromones and everything else. And if you just look up the T-shirt study, it's it, – it changes how women are perceiving essentially their environment. So it's going to be changing how they're dating as well and how, you know, they're looking for their virile mates um, (laughs) and everything along those lines. So I think that some of those things are important to consider as well as the fact that we know that oral contraceptives degenerate the cervical crypts um, of the uterus. So, and those are the parts of the system that produce cervical mucus that is essential for sperm transport that allows for fertility, which I wonder is, is that part of um, the changes for fertility complications, um, you know, later in life, depending on how long you're on oral contraceptives for. Um, But again, I feel like I'm sort of going maybe a little bit too detailed because of my bias around this. <laughs> um, and oh, in not summary, at all. I think we could pretty well go. This is like Pandora's box, right? Because yeah. this is an area we're deeply uh, interested in and some of us far more interested than anyone else around us. <laughs> But we hope to, I guess, share with you as a listener the reason why we're so passionate about this, Mm. why it's so important to us, why it's so important to what we see as, you know, the continued positive evolution of the female species Um, because the reality is we're changing women for better or for worse, depends on who you talk to, and we should know why we're doing it and what we're doing it for and who we're doing it for. And, you know, we haven't even touched on the effect of the value of this to the pharmaceutical industry. Like, let's just go, you know, if we don't want to go down that rabbit hole, we could seriously yeah, double this episode. And even the environmental impacts, oh, right? Yeah, we could keep yeah. talking about this for hours. Like, it's why you and I have certain water filtration systems because it's near on impossible to remove hormones from our water supply. Mm. Because yeah. we urinate them out into the water system, which is, you know, then treated but not removing the estrogens and things mm-hmm. that are affecting us. 
are we growing? Oh, anyway, I, I feel like I could just keep going here, but we're going to cut it there, ladies, because we yes. hope that it's given you an insight into the way we think, the way we think about this particular topic, the way we look at research and, and challenge that research and the biases, but also the way we challenge ourselves to our own biases. Because, you know, even as someone who is trying to find the information, we have attention bias. We tend towards things that we feel are, are right for us. It's why anytime someone says, oh, the, you know, the pill is the best thing I've ever done, that's great for that person. Um, but again, totally. you know, it's it's completely individual, meaning that if you're not sure or you have a discomfort or that little voice inside you is thinking, oh, God, I really don't want to be on it, maybe that's your, you know, your innate intelligence there saying, hey, we are playing Russian roulette here with a hormonal system that has evolved over the last tens of thousands of years. And suddenly with this teeny, teeny, tiny little pill, we're changing everything. Um, so it's a good question to ask. Do I need this? Is this the right option for me? Um, do the, the benefits outweigh the risks? Is this the correct, say, for example, contraception for me? Or should I be considering another possibility? Are there other contraceptive planning methods that might work better for me mm. in my relationships? Um, am I overlooking some of the really baseline hormonal issues that could be leading to the reason why I feel I need the pill? Like there's just lots of ways of asking questions that could help us get to the answers we need um, without seeing is this as the quick fix, because I don't believe the pill has mm. ever been or will ever be the quick fix to hormone dysregulation. Ah, oh, mic drop. I love it. Um, okay. <laughs> so ladies, in summary, the pill, excellent, excellent contraceptive. Does when really, really correctly. great job that when taken correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's the caveat. Um, can really help with hormonal acne. Um, you know, in some cases for the time that you're on the pill, there are some potential other pros, but we question those. Um, there's lots and lots of side effects or co-effects. So as always, please make an informed decision and we are fully supportive of what, whatever side that is as long as, as it is right for you and you are making that informed decision. So ladies, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health and until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.